We're talking about the, the serial killer. New South Wales Police don't have a great deal of experience investigating serial killings. I can't picture him being a murderer, you know. I can't picture him doing that to those kids, really. I want him to go to jail for justice. And I still want to fight for justice. 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 All we want is justice. Get us in the court. And this is unique. It hasn't happened in New South Wales before. I, I, as far as I know, it hasn't happened in Australia. I am absolutely gobsmacked by the amount of people that have never heard of it or no understanding of it. I'm a newspaper reporter. A couple of years ago, I sat down with a cop who told me about a murder. Or rather, he told me about three murders of three children. The first was Colleen Walker, a popular, outgoing 16-year-old girl who always kissed her mum goodbye when she left the house. The second was Evelyn Greenup, who was quiet, pretty, with a head of tight curls. She was only four years old. The third was another 16-year-old, Clinton Speedy DeRue, a sporty kid who cared about his appearance. He was never seen without his favourite pair of sneakers. The detective told me all three children had disappeared within five months of each other, all from the same small town in country New South Wales. He told me he was certain who the killer was, but no one had ever gone to jail. It's taken me a long time to visit that town, too long in fact. But when I did, this is what I found. A town divided, where the families of the murdered children and the family of the man suspected of their murder still lived together on adjoining streets. Where the first person I spoke to told me there's a lot of hatred in this town. So I started to ask questions, wanted to find out what happened. How, 25 years after those children were murdered, their killer is still walking around free? This is Bowerville, a podcast about innocence and guilt. Brought to you by the Australian newspaper. I'm Dan Box. See the house down here with the green fence around it? Just on the right down here? Yes. Yeah. That's where Evelyn went missing from. That used to be my mum's house. This is Michelle Jarrett. She's driving me around Bowerville, a tiny town in the cattle country of northern New South Wales. She's showing me where her four-year-old niece, Evelyn, was last seen. Yeah, and Evelyn was asleep, I believe, in this room here with Rebecca. So the bedroom closest to us? Yeah, with, with the, the striped curtains. With the striped curtains, yeah. because yeah. it's got windows on this side too. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty small house and there was a lot of people sleeping there that yeah, night. Yeah, 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 there was. That night there'd been a party. A lot of people, a lot of drinking. Looking back, one face stands out. He wouldn't say much with it. Tall, big and silent, and he'd just be there. And he'd all of a sudden appear. He must probably be there for a long time, and then you'd just see him come into view. I never liked him, I never spoke to him, I didn't, and I always used to argue with mother, why do you have that man in this house? I don't like him, there's something wrong with him. Any time I seen him walking on the street, if I walked on the right, same side as him, I'd cross to the other side. The house where Evelyn disappeared is one of a long line of Aboriginal homes strung along a road heading out of Bowerville itself. This part of town is called the Mission, and to understand what happened to the children, you need to know a little bit about Bowerville itself. The first thing you notice when you arrive is that it's hot, baking hot. You lie awake at night listening to the mosquitoes and cockroaches flying around above your head. The second thing you notice is that the town is segregated by race. 
At the time the children disappeared, Barrowville had about 1,100 people, maybe 350 of them Aboriginal. And it felt like two towns. There was the white town on top of the hill, and there was the mission, which was built between the town's cemetery, piggery and rubbish tip. The place we're staying at used to be known as Top Pub. Around the time the children disappeared, Aboriginal people got served at the door, but they had to drink in a barn out the back. One policeman who worked in the town back then described it as being like Dodge City. The police were underfunded and overstretched, and the town was party, 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 every welfare check. So if we go further, go straight up and chuck you and come back, then we could start from there and then we'll be able to show you okay. um, where everything happened from. The first child to go missing was Colleen. Oh. You know, she was really, really outgoing girl. You know, she's um, she had a lot of friends, even non-indigenous, and and, and she was a good person who got on with everyone, and and she was, you know, a really lovable person. This is Muriel Craig, Colleen's mum. We're sitting in her garden. You can hear the birds sitting in the gum tree overhead. I asked her to tell me what happened. I remember the day she, she left here on a Wednesday to go down to Barrable. That's the last time I seen her. And one thing about Colleen, every time she went out the door, she gave me a kiss. She always kissed me. Can you remember what she looked like that last day? Well, she was smiling and she was really happy because she was going down, you know, to friends and, never, you know, to a party to friends. And, yeah, I didn't think that, you know, that's the last time I'd ever see her. I remember her being fun, happy-go-lucky, a um, bit cheeky, as in pranks and... This is Paula, Colleen's sister, who was a year younger than Colleen when she disappeared. Um, yeah, she was, she was a fun person. And you used to be, you were close? We were close, yes. What did you used to do together? We used to go to the swimming all the time, down to the creek. I mean, we had our little ups and downs as um, your siblings, you do, but we were close. And she used to look after you? Yes, yeah. When was the last time you saw her? It would have been at Sawtell. Me and my mum was, and Colleen was laying up in the room. I think we were watching TV and in the hallway there's you could look out the hallway and there's a manhole. And she said, oh, I just saw a hairy, hairy arm come out of there and she scared me and mum. Yeah, so she's just, that's what I remember, my last re memory of her. Colleen was 16. She'd gone to Bowerville and gone to a party held at number four Cemetery Road on the night of Wednesday, September the 13th, 1990. One of the men, a white guy named Jay Hart, was seen trying it on with Colleen without any luck. The last known sighting of Colleen was late that night, walking down the side of the house towards the rear. At the same time, Jay Hart was seen walking down the other side of the house, heading in the same direction. Muriel, Colleen's mum, told me her daughter was never seen again. I went to Barrowville Police Station, sad day, but... There was no one at the police station. So I went down there on the Monday. 
I've, and then I report, well actually I went down on Monday and reported they're missing to the police and you know they they just didn't care. They, I had a photo of Colleen and you know, they was making jokes about her because she was fairer than what I was and they was asking me was she my daughter, you know, saying oh she, she doesn't look Aboriginal, you know. Because she had fair skin they yes. were... They were saying she wasn't really your daughter. When they asked me, was she my daughter? Yeah. How did yeah. you feel about that? Well, I couldn't do it. I couldn't back chat them or anything. You know, they, they were the police, they were the law. So what could I do? I just had to take take what they dish out to me. So I didn't do anything. I just walked out of the police station. And so they didn't do anything. They didn't say they'd go and look for her. They just, they weren't even convinced she was your daughter. Um, and did they say what might have happened to her? No. Oh, well, one of them uh, said, you know, she might have went walkabout and, you know, people make jokes and say so she, she might have went walkabout. And, well, they said they couldn't do anything because it wasn't 24 hours. They did say that. Well, 48 hours before I can report her missing. And that was that. The police said Colleen had gone walkabout. Then, three weeks later, on October the 3rd, 1990, there was another party on the mission, this time at number six Cemetery Road, the house next door to where Colleen was last seen. Once again, a lot of people, a lot of drinking. Once again, Jay Hart was there. He brought down some spirits and some beer. And in amongst all the grown-ups, there was four-year-old Evelyn with her mother, Rebecca. Well, well, you can see a photo up there. She was very bright. The photo on the wall yeah, there. shy right there. and pretty little little girl, you know. So with the white yeah. dress and with the, the pink With the white cardigan. dress and the pink cardigan, yeah. Curls. Lovely long curls. curls and... Oh, she... Had her own little ways. She was shy and that, yeah. Evelyn was Rebecca's first child, but she had two younger brothers. All three of them were there at the party. All I can remember is going to my mother's place, having a drink, and all I can remember was just going to bed and not waking up the, until the next day. The three kids slept with Rebecca inside the room. The party kept going outside. When I woke up the next day and she wasn't in the room, only my two little boys were sitting on the bed, sitting beside one another, shaking their legs like that. I woke up. I said, what are you two doing? I just turned around and looked at me. I know she wasn't in the room. Rebecca's pretty open about the fact that she was dead drunk and doesn't remember much from that night. But one woman who does is her mother, Evelyn's grandmother, Patricia Staddams. In the early hours, after most people had left, she heard Evelyn cry out. Patricia got up. I was still knocking on the door there. Becca must have been sound asleep or... And I was knocking on the door that Evelyn was still crying. She, she was still just crying. It was weird. I just heard this thud. But I thought she went to sleep and I never said anything else about it. So inside the room you heard a thud yeah. and she stopped crying? Yeah, that's when she stopped and I went back to bed. Also staying in the house that night was another woman who we caught up with but who asked not to be named. I asked her who was at the party. Um, myself, my son, Rebecca was there, 
Joe Hart was there drinking with us. There's a lot of people there. Just it's hard to remember. And so you, you went to sleep yeah. and everyone else in the house went to sleep? Well, it was very quiet. Everybody decided to go their own way. And all I couldn't leave, I had a baby in the back room, so. So everybody went their own way. And of course, through the night, late that night, my son started to stir, looking for his bottle. So I've gotten up to make his bottle and I've seen Jay Hart walk out of the room next to me. And I followed him down the hallway. By the time I got to that front door and the light was on, the door was open, I couldn't see that man. So he'd gone? He'd gone. And the size of that man, I would have seen him going up or down this mission. And who else? Had anyone else been in the room that he left? I didn't walk into the room to see who was in there. As far as I knew, I was, Rebecca was asleep in there. Because she was with us all night. I mean, and anyone else? Well, I couldn't see anybody in there, but I seen him come out of there. I didn't go and check to see whether she was in there, whether she was okay or... But that would have been the room where Evelyn was sleeping? Yes. Because Rebecca's Evelyn's yes. mum? Yes, yep. And that point, that she didn't go and check if Rebecca was okay, that might be important, because Rebecca wasn't. When she woke up, her jeans and underpants had been pulled down past her knees. Understandably, Rebecca herself didn't talk much about this. But when I was speaking to Michelle, that's Rebecca's sister, Evelyn's aunt, she's the lady who was showing us round town at the start of this episode, Michelle said this about Jay Hart. Apparently tried to crack on to a couple of the girls and that, I believe he was interested in Rebecca. Rebecca being... My sister, Becca. Evelyn's mum? Yes. What makes you say that? Oh, just the way he hung around and just gossip you heard. In fact, it's a bit more than gossip. Rebecca and Jay Hart had previously slept together. At this point, I have to say, and this is important, Jay Hart has never been found guilty of anything to do with these children's disappearance. In fact, it's the opposite. He's been found not guilty in court. And that's what makes this a really difficult, unusual situation. I've been a crime reporter for years. I've covered a lot of murders in that time. And I've seen nothing like this. Here, you've got a man who's been found not guilty, not once, but twice in court. And yet no one will let this go. For Michelle, it's simply not good enough. She says the police got this wrong right from the start. If you want to drive up further, I'll show you. So this is all the mission here in this. And if you turn on to your right here, that is Urborn Drive. See, if you park up near the water tower there. Now, when Evelyn went missing, I lived in Colhalen Street. Yeah. Not far from Jay Hart's mother's house. And I, um, I'd i gone to work that morning. I didn't know anything about Evelyn. And I'd um, come home. I didn't get home till about 6 o'clock, oh, about, about 6.30, 6, 7. Yeah. And uh, I was laying in the room and Rebecca come in. She said, look, Evelyn's missing. And I said, what do you mean she's missing? And they said, oh... Oh, I can't find it. I got up, because I used to take pictures of all the kids all the time. I said, get that picture, and I went straight down to the police and I reported they're missing. There was one copper on there, and I went in there, 
And I said, look, I just want to report my niece missing. She's only four years old and this is there. And he said, he looked at me and said, what do you want me to do about it? He I'm said, just, what? What do you want me to do about it? I said, well, help us, you know, she's gone missing. We can't find her. She's four years old. And it's, you know, it, by this time it's like eight o'clock, half past eight. He said, oh, well, I'm just about to knock off. He said that And there's you. no, yeah, there's nobody here. I'll see you. That's what he said to me, and I just looked at him. Stunned. I'm thinking, what the hell am I supposed to do? What am I, you know, because I've never had a missing child before and I didn't know what to do. I haven't been able to track down that police officer and ask him if or why he said that to Michelle. But what is certain is that at this point, you've got two children who disappear from next-door houses less than three weeks apart and the police treat both of them as nothing more than missing persons investigations. Then, less than four months later, there's another party. One of the guests was another 16-year-old, Clinton Speedy Deru. Yeah, well, my name is Thomas Duro and I'm Clinton's father. I've been in Barrowville for about 30 years now, so lived in the same house across the road. Been here all the time. Tell me about Clinton. How do you remember him? Um, well, when he was young, he was just wanted to do everything, run around, play, all the kids' stuff, whatever. If you wanted to go somewhere down the river, he'd follow you, and his brothers would get out the back, play football, baseball, cricket, whatever. On January the 31st, 1991, Thomas and Clinton were living on the same road as where Evelyn and Colleen disappeared. If you stand there and look at it, what really hits you is that all three children were living in houses about 100 metres apart. On the night of the third party, Clinton was with his girlfriend, Kelly. He was way up, um, the units up in the back there, and he was up there and drinking, no one up to see him, and he was asleep, so I just told him when he wakes up, tell him to come home. That was the last time I saw him. Now, at this point, just stop. You've got three children who all disappear, all from the same street. What on earth could have happened? This is Michelle Jarrett again. Uh, just stop here. Now, see the um, house over this side here? Yeah. That's my auntie and uncle's house. Auntie Sandra's and Uncle Rod's. And I don't know where Clinton was asleep. He must have been asleep in one of them units. But Auntie Sandra was in her unit and she was um, at the kitchen, and the kitchen's at the back side, and she could um, hear Clinton and Kelly talking, and she could hear Jay say to Kelly, go and wake him up and bring him down to my place. So she goes and wakes him up, and you drive further down. So this is Airborne Drive, so we've come off Gumbangia Road, South Arm Road, Airborne Drive, turn into High Street, make a right just here. This is Cohalen Street. This, so is, this, this is the street that Jay was living this on. This is the street that Jay lives in. This is Cohalen Street. So from where we were it's about three, four hundred metres tops? Yep. So you keep going, driving down and see where that old ute there, rusty ute? Yeah. The, that's Jay Hart's house. That's his mother's house there. And in there, 
there was a caravan parked in there. And that's where Clinton's gone missing from. Clinton and Kelly went back to the caravan with Jay. They watched a movie and the two Aboriginal kids fell asleep on the bed. In the morning, Clinton was missing, except his shoes were still there. And when Kelly woke up, her shorts and underpants had been removed. Just like the other children's families, the police told Thomas his son might have gone walkabout. Then they found the bodies. So if you, as you go up on the crest of this hill, that's Congarini Road, so turn to your right. Michelle and I are now driving out of town, and I mean just out of town. It's literally a few kilometres, if that. Now, back then, this was all dirt. Right. So it's all tarred now, and there's more bushes. There wasn't, and there wasn't the houses, some of the houses here. I mean, it's still, it's bushland now. Yeah. It's still forest. It, 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 yeah, yeah. So now you go off to your left here. Okay. So now we do hit dirt. Now we do hit dirt, yeah. yeah. Up around this corner. So Just stop right about here, along here, and down there, about 100, yeah, down there, that's where Evelyn was found, her remains near a tree. Just um, her skull and some, her, one of her shoe, some bones in the shoe, and that, but not much of her, yeah, it was all mainly skeletal. Can we get out and have a look? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not even far off the road. It's no, it's not far off the road. 50 metres yeah. down the hill? Yeah, down the hill. Um, the SES actually found her. They did a search along here. They did. Um, with the police. Yeah. And they found her late in the afternoon. Around about five, four in the afternoon. What was your reaction? How did you feel when you heard what happened? Oh, I was just heartbroken, you know, because... For us, for the Statham's family especially, we've got friends who just live not far up here and we drive out this way thousands of times and to think what we drove past her was just heartbreaking and, you know, it just kill you that she was just there all that time and we didn't know, you know. We just drove past her all them times and, and how she would have been out here in the hot and just left alone thinking no one loved her or cared. It's just tragic. A few kilometres further on, on the same dirt road, is where Clinton's body was discovered. It's just over there. See over there? Oh, yeah. If you just park over there a bit, off the road a bit. No. No. And so he was just found not far, just down that hill. It's the same road. Yes. Same road, same... Yep. Same method of disposing of the body. Yes, yes. Just off the road, yep. down the hill. Yep. How far? Just, oh, what, see where the first lot of trees, not these little cluster, just down, not to the black one, but just here. About 70 metres, maybe? Yeah, yeah, just there. Off to the side there, bit. No attempt to bury them? No, just dumped there. Just dumped? Yeah. So, we're going along, still along Congarini Road. 
towards Maxwell. There's a rickety old bridge back then. This bridge is only new. So that's Congarini North Road. We're going to turn left. And then if you drive along here further, I'm not 100% sure of the exact spot, but it's out further along here. Out just out there, the clothes were thrown. On April the 17th, 1991, a fisherman, trying his luck in the Nambucca River just outside Barrowville, got his line caught on a pair of jeans and a belt. It turned out they belonged to Colleen, the first of the three children to disappear. The rest of her clothes were found in bags, weighted down with rocks. Her body's never been recovered. So now, the children weren't just missing persons. They'd been murdered. And looking back, all three of them were living on the same short road. All three disappeared over the same summer. Two of the bodies were found dumped off the same dirt track and Colleen's clothes were found in a river near where that road crosses over a bridge. Yet today, no one has been put on trial for all three crimes. Basically, the law is saying that three different people just happened to come into Barrowville and just happened to take three different kids from the same town in the same manner, dumped their bodies in the same manner, but it was three different people. In a small community of about 2,000 people, statistically, how is that possible? Tell me, how is that possible? We are one unlucky town. Michelle's right. When you look at it, three Aboriginal kids are murdered. The same white man is seen at the scene of each. That's not a question of luck. The real question is, what did the police do when they arrived in town? Next time on Barrowville. As I said, it was my underlying feel that they'd basically gone about proving that these children had just gone walkabout. They hadn't, they hadn't been murdered. How did you feel about that as a police officer? I was disgusted. I was disgusted. Barrowville is a podcast brought to you by The Australian. It was produced and edited by Eric George. Original music by Riley McCulloch and Marlo Fitzpatrick. Additional music by Chris Zabriskie, Rui, Graham Bowl and Andy G. Cohen. You can find all the episodes of this podcast on SoundCloud and on iTunes, where you can also subscribe to keep track of future episodes. To read more about the Barrowville murders, head to theaustralian.com.au forward slash Barrowville. I'm Dan Box.